Cheryl Shaw, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mark. And Dr. David Tapper, good afternoon to you, sir, as well. G'day, Mark. Now, first up, we need to address, as always is par for the course here, Cheryl will have a brooch in it. Tell us a story. Have you been doing your, your high school surf lifesaving? That's what it looks like there. Oh, you're spot on. This is my bronze medallion from 50 years ago. Wow. It's lost yep. a bit of shine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mark. You know, back in those days, we mm. used to go, um, all school students used to go and get their bronze medallion, which I think was a great I've uh, got mine somewhere. Yeah. The, the star's lost some shine, but Cheryl hasn't. Oh, oh thank you, David. Look at David recovering. recovering. <laughs> uh, Firstly, Cheryl, what have you got for us today? I'm going to be talking about pools and swimming. Oh, okay. There's the link. Now I got mm-hmm. it. And David, obviously answering all of the pet questions as well. Yes, what else you got and for us? If, if we get time, um, what about if your dog has a red eye? Oh, yes. Okay. Well, we'll we'll discuss uh, briefly about what that might mean and what can be done about it. All right, Chris from Hawks Nest, you have a question for the gang today with your indoor cat. What's going on, Chris? I do. I wanted to know whether or not you have to still have feline F three vaccinations every year for a cat if it's staying indoors all the time. Do you have any other cats, Chris? Yes, one other kitten. He's um, probably six, eight months younger than her. Yeah. Yeah. So how old is the older one? So she would be between two and three years now. Okay. So vaccination generally is always a, a bit of a risk-benefit um, uh, discussion. Yeah. And certainly the benefits of vaccination are, are pretty widespread and certainly well known. But in regards to the annual only, I think, is a slightly different question, which is based on... Um, you know, not just that risk, but also some of the vaccines now you can get is a, a three-year vaccine. Oh, okay. Okay, so there are actually, it's not just like there's more vaccine in the dose. They're, they're a different type of vaccination. Right. Now, you specifically about the F3, and I think the important thing is if you've got a number of cats, two cats, I think, I would yep. be sticking with an annual certainly for quite a while. Um, because we just don't know with um, some of the diseases like Khaleesi virus and so on, uh, you can have a cat that has a carrier state. Right. And so you just want to make sure that we're, we're protected with the vaccination um, because certainly if they develop, if the disease does get in and spreads, um, they can certainly suffer with it and then develop their own carrier state, which means you'd never be able to get rid of it. Uh, and these are viral diseases, so we're pretty limited in the kind of treatments. It's not like bacterial diseases where we can use antibiotics. Yep. So, you know, vaccination provides the best protection. On the other side is, um, like, being indoor only is certainly much less risk, but having two cats, I think, is a bigger risk factor for me. The second th- the other thing, too, is that there are other vaccines other than just the F3 which is the um, F3 is feline enteritis, and then there's two respiratory viruses. So there is also uh, vaccination for feline leukaemia and feline AIDS or FIV. And those those are things that I would be discussing with your veterinarian as well about, you know, what's the risk with that and is that worthwhile to get vaccinated? Uh, Okay, all right. So you really should keep up these annual vaccinations then. Yeah, and I think particularly at this age group that you're talking about, I think we're still in a period of time where I think we've got to make sure we've got good, strong 
uh, immunity from those vaccines. And having two cats means we're probably going to be slightly more at risk. But look, keep your cats indoors. That's certainly a good thing. It helps to protect them. It helps to protect the environment as well. So thanks very much. All right. All the best with that, Chris, uh, and your little kitty cats at Hawks Nest there. <laughs> Cheryl, I think we'll, we'll, we'll come back in a couple of moments and delve right into your topic we'll right. dive in we'll, we'll, do- dive we'll take in. a deep dive oh, you boys. and you if we get into trouble that's okay because yeah cheryl's got a bronze star there <laughs> oh look we'll just we'll just swim through whatever comes up <laughs> we might do a quiz on us if she can remember any of the stuff from the royal life saving association <laughs> uh, you'll have to wait a couple of minutes to talk to cheryl because cheryl's about to talk to us bring in another exciting topic today cheryl <laughs> I am. And it's about swimming pools. This time mm. of the year, often people put a cover over their swimming pool. Because it's winter, they want to cut down on the maintenance so there's no mm-hmm. leaves and debris getting in. But those covers can sometimes pose a problem for pets. Often a pet will um, walk onto the centre of the, the cover and particularly when we've had a lot of rain, some covers actually sag in the centre. And when the pet walks onto the cover... A bit like us, really. (laughs) (laughs) The the pet will actually slide down into that um, saggy part of the cover. And if there's water in there, they can often drown. They have trouble in getting out of there because what's going on Mm. is when, when they're slipping into that void, they struggle to get back out and obviously become very tired. But the other problem is sometimes they'll slip under the edge of the cover and go underneath the pool cover, which obviously is just horrific. So when you're thinking about your pets, if you're thinking about putting a cover on, maybe rethink that, particularly if you've got a puppy, because puppies are so inquisitive and we often forget that they are able to fit mostly through those pool fences and slide straight through. Mm -hmm. And because they are sort of exploring their environment, it's one of those things that you just need to be really vigilant. I mean, we say that around children with pools and swimming, but certainly our pets have to be considered as well. Well, that's the trick, isn't it? I mean, like you said, with the kids, but I mean, the kids would be outside of the pool fence most of the time, so they wouldn't be exposed as greatly as a pet. Like you said, little puppies and, and mm. cats, they can jump over and in, in they go. So, yes, that's right. So, I mean, how, how un- vigilant un- do you have to be yeah, here? Yeah, unsupervised. Yes. Exactly. Mm. So I was just thinking that when you said that, Cheryl, about mm. the pool fences are obviously always designed for, to keep kids out. Yes. Um, but our pets, we have to be mindful of, you know, whether they could access yeah. the pool. And a lot of people think that dogs can swim naturally, but it isn't actually the case. <laughs> oh, no. You can no. relate to this one, David. Yes. Well, my um, bulldog, Amy, I was in the pool once with my son and she fell in and I couldn't see her. And that's because she was on the bottom. And being a bull, mm. bulldog, she's, you know, low centre of gravity, density. Yes. She went straight to the bottom. And yeah. um, she was unconscious when we pulled her out. And oh, dear. blew. So mm. um, good thing I knew what to do, though. <laughs> and this is it. it often well, people... almost everything. What you, you know, you're allowed her to fall in in the first place. So what were you saying, Cheryl? <laughs> so one of one of those things is supervision, obviously, Mark. Yes, yes that's right. Yes. But one of the problems is that people don't realise the weight-body ratio. Some dogs just don't have the ability to be able to swim. And some dogs are actually frightened of water. They're, they're terrified. If owners go to put them in, they start thrashing. And just to watch a puppy swimming, it's quite interesting. When you first hold a puppy above a pool... Sometimes they're just emotionless and then they'll start to do the dog paddle with their front legs. So that's when we place them in the water and watch them swim. But when you f- they first swim, they don't actually use their back legs. Their back legs sag down into the bottom. They're trying to find 
terra firma. Uh, to stand. Yes, and so right. there's nothing there. And so this is how they can very easily, as puppies, because they don't have enough strength to, um, to actually swim across a, a volume of water, they'll just sink and go down and drown mm. very quickly. And it doesn't take very long for a puppy to drown. So you've got to be watching all of the time. You should never go and throw a, an, a, a, a dog into the water ever. And make sure it's always a positive experience. So it is important that um, you look at what breed of dog it is, whether it um, has short legs and a long body. They're going to have trouble in swimming as well because they just don't have that power in their legs to be able to swim, um, particularly a long distance. If you're using a flotation device like a buoyancy vest, they'll often help those dogs that are struggling with swimming to stay up in the water because obviously the flotation device will level out their body um, in level with the water. So then you can do your swimming or if you're doing hydrotherapy or something like that. It's a sad reflection of state, isn't it? We have to point out to people to make the experience positive and don't just throw your dog in the water. Yeah. yeah? And we wonder why we have animals that are sort of cranky and aggressive all the time. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, if you throw a pet into the water, it's it's certainly going to um, be traumatised mm. and, and it's going to struggle. And then there's going to be that association with something that's bad that's happened rather than encouraging to play with, you know, on the edge of the water or on the step or your ramp or whatever you've got in your pool situation at home. But, you know, Bodies should always have their dogs um, with a vest. Even a dog that's a really powerful swimmer, if it falls overboard, can actually get um, very tired very quickly. And in the dark, you can't see where they mm -hmm. are. So you need a, a vest that has a um, reflective tape on it. But something um, just to be, be, you know, really mindful of, the best swimmer can get disoriented or if they're in the water for a long period, just get so exhausted that they succumb to that. Some great tips there if you ever find your dog overboard. <laughs> see what I, see what we did there? <laughs> David doesn't care. He doesn't care. <laughs> All right, look, uh, we'll come back with a little bit more of Pet Chat. And, and David, in, in lieu of more uh, folks ringing, your topic will be? Uh, talking about dogs with red eyes. And Joyce, you're at Charlestown, and uh, Cheryl's going to have a crack at your cat today with a matted coat. Good afternoon. Hello, Good Joyce. Afternoon. Hello, Cheryl. How are you? I'm very well. How old is your cat? Sixteen. Sixteen. Okay. The neighbours left him when they moved. And he's not used to being... When you put him in a cat cage, he just makes a terrible mess everywhere. Mm. Right. Yeah. And what, what breed of cat is he, Joyce? Oh, I think he's just a domestic cat. He's ginger and white. Okay. Given his age and that he does have some matting, it sounds like he may need to go and have a visit with the vet because it sounds like he's not doing any grooming himself. Mm. What would your thoughts on that be, David? So we, we do see this matted coat as a sign of something else going on. Yes. Yeah, and particularly with older cats. So sometimes they'll either be um, inability to turn around and groom themselves so you can have arthritis, you know, the topic we talked about on last the show week. last week yeah. um so that can be an issue sometimes it can actually be that they just feel sick generally and there's a, obviously a number of different conditions could cause that one thing that we do see also is some cats will have a very sore mouth and so they won't groom themselves yes if they've got ulcers and things right. like that exactly yes, yes. and so well, with I those don't, i don't think it's anything to do with his mouth because he, he would eat continually if you put it out. <laughs> so he's got a good appetite. But the, if you take him to the vet and just get him given a general check over, uh, if, if, if he's okay, they'll be able to um, 
to give him a groom. So that would probably be the way it probably yeah, needs to it, start with. that he needs that matted coat removed yes. um, so that then it's easier for you to do your home maintenance with him. But if it's really matted, if you wet him, it's it's not yeah, going to dry and, and then that. he's going to, yeah, then he's going to be um, chilled. And given that he's an older cat, I think it would be more um, wise to go and see the vet and just have it checked out completely. Is there a mobile vet because he just messes up? Yes, yeah. yes, there yeah, certainly right. is. So if you give them a ring, they'll be able to come out and advise you. you. Can, yeah, you can just look them up, Google, and um, for your area, there'll be someone who can come and help you. And, yeah, look, we often um, have that concern with sometimes people can't bring mm. their cats in. Um, and obviously that's where, yeah, getting someone to come out is a good idea. Uh, just a quick thing too, because Cheryl did mention it, Joyce, is that with that matted coat, and this is for anyone else that's li listening, bathing them you can't bath those mats out you can't tease them out no. and they have to be removed pretty much with a very close clip yeah and, and the trouble is when you wet them joyce the the coat usually with it being woolen they tend to shrink back so the matting gets even tighter mm. and so we just don't want to have that situation no yeah. well see we've got our own cat and he's nearly 16 as well but he's he came from a farm but when I took him to get him, um, um, you know, chipped and everything as a kitten, uh, he, they said, they thought he had Oriental cat in him, and he's marked very much like a uh, Bengal cat. Oh, oh lovely. Love. Mm. Beautiful. Uh, very nice. Beautiful. And yeah. Really long, but he comes in, we have him inside because. He just nows if he wants to go out the door. But with Sherby, we can't do that because um, he just messes anywhere. And that's, that's what makes it so hard. And I'm on a pension and I, I walk with a walking stick, so it's a bit hard for me to get him to yeah. a vet anywhere. Well, just give the mobile a, a ring and they'll come out and help you. Yeah. All the best with that, Joyce. All right, if you'd like uh, the, the game to have a crack at your pet questions today, 49216. 216 for Petcha. Dave, we're going to stick with you for a minute here. Mm. Um, but this is a very interesting conundrum you've got for the dogs. Those with the red eye. What, what's going on here? We do see this quite a bit with um, whenever a pet comes in with eye problems. One of the ways that we can categorise them is they do they have a red eye, a blue eye, or is the problem blindness? But talking, talking about red eyes, because this is probably the most common thing we see, generally, so when we say red eye, we mean the the uh, whites around the eye which is the conjunctiva and so those vessels on the surface there can be very inflamed and so it just gives this overall red appearance sometimes we'll see deep uh, inflammation in there as well and same thing it'll just look red so when we say a red eye it's not a diagnosis it's mm. actually just pointing us in a specific uh, direction so sometimes it's conjunctivitis the other problem we'll see is um, keratitis, which actually the easier way to think of it is just the clear part of the eye, the surface of the eye or the cornea is um, inflamed and that's called keratitis and if most often that'll present as um, ulceration. Now you may not be able to see that. What you'll see is the dog will be blinking, it'll be painful, there might be a bit of discharge out of the eye, not, not always, but they'll certainly, the conjunctiva will be quite red um, and, you know, the eyelids might be a bit swollen and they keep the eye shut. And that tells us we've got a painful red eye. And the number one thing I'm looking for when I look at those is 
do they have a corneal ulceration? And uh, the cornea, the clear part of the eyes, is actually reasonably thick uh, compared to you know what you might think, given mm. that it's clear. But if that gets ulcerated and it's not treated, and I'm talking like within 24 hours, then there is a chance they can get much more severe injury. And I have seen dogs that have lost their eye altogether um, because you know the ulceration has been so severe. It's an so, interesting point that you make there that like the difference between a, literally a day or so can mean the difference yeah. between we can come in and we can arrest this problem or as yeah the, the worst. I, I remember once I saw a Yorkshire Terrier. This was up at um, Williamtown. And uh, this lady, she was a really good dog breeder. And she had this Yorkie Terrier. And she'd seen the dog when she fed all her dogs. Came back an hour or two later to clean up. And said, well, his eye was sore then and it's much worse now. I saw him at 9am and he was on the verge of losing his eye. And he'd been pretty much fine just before she had fed him. Um, and that was what we call a, a melting cornea, where the actual bacteria on the eye just eat away at the surface of the, of the eye. We sent that dog to a specialist ophthalmologist in Sydney. He had surgery at 1pm and managed to keep his eye, but he had to have eye drops every two hours for the next two days. Oh, he would love that. <laughs> yes. I mean, we don't like using well, eye drops. The dog, try to, you can't explain to the dog, look, this is what you need to do. Yeah, yeah. I know, stand still. Um, so red eye, very important you get that treated quickly. So look, sometimes it's not going to be that severe, obviously. Mm. I've seen dogs that have got grass allergies that have got red eyes. But they'll, the problem is some of them will rub their eye with their paws and they can then actually scratch the eye. So they've gone from a dog that has an allergy to now a dog that has now a, a bigger problem. Yeah, laceration in the eye. Now, now you mentioned the scratching there and the fact that these things can deteriorate pretty pretty quickly. Is there some things behaviorally we should behaviorally we should look at? I can't get that word out. Some things the dog are doing yes. that um, can't even do that. That well, there might actually be some signs earlier on that we could be in this road of the red eye problem. I think you know compared to other parts of the body, we look at dogs' faces all the time. You know that's the part we interact with, um, and so you're probably going to notice eye problems faster than you would a lot of other things. And yes, they may be rubbing at their eye, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's just, it's a red eye and it's only that you just catch a glimpse of it. But certainly um, if they're painful, it's going to be more obvious. They're squinting, there might be some discharge. They won't want you to go near that eye. So if you approach the dog on that side, they'll be very averse to you coming near them. And particularly if you go to pat them, they'll be thinking, no, that's going to hurt. So that's another thing that you'll see. Um, sometimes I've seen dogs who actually, you know, if it's on that side, they'll have blindness, either because they've got the eye shut or because they've got a red eye and a, a, an unseeing eye on the same at the same time. And in that case, you know, you might approach the dog from that side and they don't notice you. Um, and so it could be blindness is actually the thing that shows up. So just be alert for those kind of things. And as I said, I think it's best to actually get them assessed very quickly. Now, we often talk about what can you do at home with these scenarios. Look, my advice is really just get them to the vet as quickly as possible. I'm a bit of a fanatic about treating eyes uh, very conservatively, which means I want to protect the eye and the dog's vision. Um, that's my, my job is to preserve and conserve their vision, which means I'm going to be paradoxically aggressive with my treatment which is 
I'm going to make sure we check it frequently. I want to get to see that dog early. Um, what we tend to do in the clinic is we'll actually stain the eye. First of all, we'll put an anesthetic drop in. Then we put a stain in and then we look at it under various lights and we can see if there's an ulcer there and then we can prescribe some treatment. Some treatments involve surgery. A lot of the time it's medication and we'll help people out to do that. Um, so get in and get it seen quickly and then make sure you follow up. I'm, I'm as I said, a bit of a fanatic. So my, my uh, plan usually means we have to check the eye every two days. David, just on that, sometimes dogs do cause trauma to their eyes as well mm. after a bath. You ever seen how a dog will sometimes rub its face on a yep. towel or they'll even at home, sometimes they'll rub their faces on your lounge or your carpet. That can really cause a lot of problems. And I, I always say to people, just watch your dog doesn't going to rub on the side of the lounge because that will cause that friction and irritate the eye. Yeah, and I, I've seen dogs who have done that and you might think, oh, but they just rub their eye. So, yeah. But what we find is they've actually caused a laceration. Yeah. And it might only be shallow, but the problem with the cornea is it doesn't have any blood supply, right? That's what, And that's why it's clear mm. because there's no blood vessels in there. Um, and so if there's a laceration there, the bacteria on the surface of the eye can just get it straight into the deeper tissue. So it's, it becomes a, a very uh, urgent problem very yes. quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Amanda <laughs> at Cook's Hill, you want to add a little bit uh, to the dog's mess today. What's happening, Amanda? Yes, I was, um, uh, 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 there's a product you can use um, to get up the um, dog um, poo everywhere. It's called soda water, and you mop it up with uh, a, a damp sponge. Yes. And and you won't have any trouble with the poo in the carpet or whatever. Oh, well, hopefully we can prevent it. But if So if we do get animals that have messed in the house, soda water, I've heard of bicarb soda pouring and, on. And it, works, yeah. and, it, and it works on um, it works on dried poo as well. <laughs> there you go. Or, oh. or the, there is an easier way, guys, than that. You, you get somebody oh. else to clean it up. No, but Mark, I thought your answer was going to be the pets don't come inside. Oh, that's well, that's right. I mean, that's... I've, I've dobbed you in, haven't <laughs> yeah. I? No, no, pets live outside. That's okay. where they belong. There we go. Get a little dog house. Whatever. Well, you're, you're not you're not going to be interested in Holly, our dog of the week. Absolutely, oh, she's so cute. Because look at her on the lounge. If uh, adding a new pet to your family is uh, very much on the agenda at the moment, why not check out Holly up on our webpage at the Pet yeah, Chat she's page? Cute. Five months old, Jack Russell pup. How about that? Oh, lots of energy. Lots of energy there, and apparently loves uh, a bit of a snuggle as well. So uh, that's good. You get again, nice little dog, nice little mm -hmm. snuggle as well. Um, she's actually joined at the hip at the moment to a big foster sister, but yeah, would love to be rehomed. And at the moment, she's in foster care at Salamander Bay. So uh, those type I do. Of she does some. Mm. Just a note: it says she's mm. an agile jumper. Yes. So mm. keep that in mind as well. High jumper. So the the right family. Is the, yes, is the key here? Absolutely, um, not dissexed at this point. So, uh, but hey, Holly, nice little dog. She looks very cute. She hey. is extremely cute. I love that head tilt there. <laughs> well, just very photogenic, and she just she knew is. the cameras were on her. Yeah, she's playing to it. Yeah. All right. If uh, if you would like to check out Holly, you can head up to the Pet Chat page at twonewrfm.com.au. Uh, check out Holly, and each and every week we'll have a brand new dog there for you to have a look at. Guys, not much left uh, to wrap things up with. We, we covered a little bit today. Eyes, cats, pools, everything. Oh, yeah. Um, and 
Also, I've had some questions through the clinic about keeping animals uh, warm. And certainly we talked about this previously, didn't we, about, um, you know, dogs coming inside and things like that or keeping jackets on them. So we're getting a bit of cooler weather and certainly the wet weather is going to keep things on the down for a little while. So make sure your pets stay uh, warm during this period. Keep them rugged up if you need to, especially if they're a bit older. Yeah. That's the other thing. But we do need to take those jackets off and give a brush every day. Otherwise, right. we're going don't to end up matted. Mm. So a quick brush, air it out, all's good. Well, let's be honest, we don't wear the same clothes and underwear without taking them off, do we? You know, you've got to get everything cleaned up. And Is that a thing? That's a thing. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> oh. T- well, the news is out, Listen, David. Come it's, on. It's pet chat. And it's um, personal hygiene tips for the week. (laughs) That sounds pretty good. (laughs) Guys, we have uh, run straight out of time, so we'll look forward to catching up with you in future Pet Chat Wednesdays. Wednesdays, Dr. David Tabret and Cheryl Shaw, thank you both for your time as always. Thank Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.